It's April 18, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. My name is Bert Lom. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to hear about the AAUW Tech Savvy Conference from Don Robertson from Sacred Heart. Then Andy Karsner, managing partner of Emerson Collective, is going to join us by phone to tell us about the Earth Day Energy Summit. And of course, then we'll check in on the current state of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology with Spencer Toyama and David Henry. As promised, though, let's welcome Don Robertson from Sacred Heart Academy. Here's, she's here to tell us about the upcoming AAUW Tech Savvy Conference. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So tell us what you do over at the Sacred Hearts. Uh, we've had uh, um, Deborah Kula on, but uh, this is the first time for you. Uh, yes, I, I teach mostly um, seventh grade science, mm-hmm. uh, but I also teach uh, middle school robotics, coding, and a little bit of coding in the high school level. Wow, cool. Coding so what kind, of, what kind of coding are you, are you teaching? Uh, mostly JavaScript. And on the robotics side, what is it at Sacred Heart? Uh, we, at the middle school level, we're doing VEX IQ. VEX IQ. Yep. Very cool. So you must have a pretty b- busy schedule covering. <laughs> I mean, because like a lot of those students. things that you just described, are they courses or classes or are they extracurricular? Um, most of, mostly classes. I, I helped out a lot last year with um, the after school program for mm-hmm. the middle school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, too. good. So, so tech, tech savvy, savvy what's yeah. all that about? Um, Tech Savvy is a conference for girls in grades 6 through 9 um, focused on the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math to help them gain an um, excitement for the STEM fields. How many years have you been doing this? Because I know we've talked about it before, but uh, this is an annual event, but uh, how many years have you been? This will be our fourth year. Fourth year. And <laughs> tell us a little bit about what, uh, what goes on at Tech Savvy. Sure. Um, uh, they start the day off um, going to um, classes regarding STEM. So um, it, th- this year we have such um, workshops as Scalpostat or uh, Ozobots mm-hmm. uh, navigating the maze of life. Um, so it's really just getting them a hands-on experience with um, STEM leaders, uh, women leaders in our field. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, they're or go to um, workshops regarding savvy skills, uh, which are just like skills that they can use for their everyday lives. Um, example of that would be like um, would be um, be your own hashtag girl boss. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> at, at that at that uh, workshop, they'll be de- developing their leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of the people that are actually conducting some of these workshops, are they all from Sacred Hearts or are there a variety of teachers like yourself who participate in this? Um, in regards to the students that are coming? No, no, the uh, the mentors or the, the, the people that are conducting the workshop. Oh, yes. They, they are um, professionals, uh, females in the fields mm-hmm. um, from all over the island. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a teacher. That's correct. Oh, very cool. And um, the audience of Tech Savvy, is it just students or is it a broader section of the community that participates in this conference? Um, it's uh, girls from sixth grade to, through ninth grade, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, parents. We have a section for parents as well if they mm-hmm. would like to um, be a part of it um, to help lead their daughter um, and encourage them in, in the STEM fields, how they can do that and, and be, uh, be a good um leader in mm-hmm. helping them develop their So skills. there's a, like a parent track and a student track and yes. if the parent wants to be there and help their daughter be a girl boss, hashtag, <laughs> they, can, they can help in that way. Yes. So the, um, the effort to put something like this together and get girls sort of exposed to STEM, uh, obviously, I mean, it's, a, it's an effort to try to close that gender gap. Yes. And is there, do you observe, I guess, well, of course, uh, Sacred Hearts is all girls school, correct? Yes. Do you see 
efforts to try to keep them engaged in this area of STEM beyond the, the conference? Um, I, I feel like there ha- has been an increased amount of trying to get girls into STEM. There's a, um, a lot of things going on throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us at Sacred Hearts, we, we do do a lot of different things um, in order to help um, develop those t- those skills and the excitement for STEM. You know, we have the robotics and we have the cybersecurity mm-hmm. um, and things like that. Yeah, great. So what's the relationship between Sacred Heart and uh, Texas and AAUW, sort of the uh, the sponsoring organization? Uh, the first year that they started the conference, they asked us to be part of it. Um, and then they asked me to, to help them out as, as part of Sacred Heart's Academy. So when is this event and how can someone uh, participate if they're interested? I imagine it's a hot ticket. <laughs> um, it is on Saturday, this Saturday, April 21st. Um, Registration starts about 8. It's kind of from 9 to uh, 3.15. We actually just closed the the registration, but um, we would still accept walk-ups. It's at Hawaii Pacific University in Kaneohe. um, Oh, nice. Students are $5 and parents are 10 Fantastic. So they can walk up and just pay and then uh, participate all day? Yes, that's true. Great. That's great. Is there a website that people can go to just to kind of check it out, what the the agenda is? we we don't have that at, at, at the moment because we clo- we closed sure. the registration. Okay. okay, sounds good. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Don, for joining us. All right, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And of course, uh, next up, we want to welcome Andy Kars- Karsner, and uh, he's of course the managing partner from Emerson Collective, and uh, he'll be in town for the Earth Day Energy Summit. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks, guys. Super excited to be with you. Yeah, great. So, tell us a little bit about what's uh, what's exactly bringing you to town. Oh, gosh, we did the Earth Day uh, Summit. We're going to be celebrating 10 years of progress from the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative. Uh, it's just incredibly uh, the way that Hawaii has outpaced the nation and most jurisdictions in the world and decarbonizing and detoxifying, getting off of addictive oil and, and being the fastest to deploy clean, renewable technology. So we've got a 10-year track record. And, and most importantly, we're going to look forward about fulfilling that promise to the, to the Keiki and and ensure that Hawaii is the first to uh, cross the finish line in a uh, zero-emission economy that's healthy and prosperous. So we're super excited. Well, Andy, it's great to hear that enthusiasm. I mean, certainly we might hear these things here in Hawaii from our own local leaders, but for someone with your credentials basically being this enthusiastic about Hawaii's uh, ability to not only exhibit but perhaps even achieve these aggressive clean energy goals is is, is uh, reassuring and validating. So from your perspective, you see a lot of attraction, a lot of hope for what Hawaii wants to achieve. Oh, absolutely. It's not just me. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm so excited all these innovators coming in from all around the world. Joey Ito, the head of MIT's Media Lab, nice. and Astro Teller, the head of uh, uh, Google X, the Moonshot Factory, and uh, Ernie Moniz, Obama's Secretary of Energy, uh, who led Mission Innovation in Paris and brought everybody together. They're all converging on this event. Uh, and my own colleague, Lorraine Powell-Jobs, who is in Silicon mm. Valley, synonymous with uh, genius and elegant design thinking. And so everyone is coming to celebrate what has already happened and to say, what are the lessons and how do we invest further and go faster? And, and uh, so it is joyful to look at an example in America when many people are doubting us and to say, no, no, we have a measurable track record. We have the method and the means. There's no technological impediments. And now it's just about our will to get this done. And I, and I don't have to tell you, gentlemen, that in Hawaii, there's a lot of support 
for renewable energy and getting this done. So, so it's it's just joyful to. to well, yeah. Andy, you know Great. you're you're definitely well qualified to to speak on this matter because I mean you're the former uh, U.S. Department of Energy Assistant Secretary, and you actually helped Governor Linda Lingle back when this uh, whole this whole idea of the clean energy initiative was started. Right? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's right. We signed that in January twenty eighth. 2008, and I will tell you it is one of the highlights of my life and and Mm. career. I met Linda Lingle through a friend who was one of the greatest innovators on Earth, a guy named Dean Kamen. And and Dean is known for the Segway and for portable dialysis and so many different things. And Dean Kamen, uh, in his home in New Hampshire, told me about this Hawaiian governor who chased him down in the middle of winter. Imagine what it takes to go from Hawaii to New Hampshire in January, and, <laughs> and, and, and only to get Dean to bring the first uh, in robotic science and technology program for the kids, the robotics, nice. of which That's Hawaii right. then won the next year. So Linda was a special personality, and, and, and uh, having met her, she was uh, extraordinary in helping bring Papahanaumokuakea hey, very to good. become the, the world's first marine protected area. And so I, we came up with this idea, what if we committed all of our efforts of all the state programs into Hawaii? What if we had a nonpartisan outreach across all the legislators and the regulators and the utility and said, let's make a plan? And for the first time ever, let's have stretch targets and skate to the puck. And so 10 years ago, we did that, and we didn't have commercial solar. We didn't have commercial LED lighting. We didn't have these things that we have today, and Hawaii still outperformed it. And today we have all the technology, and so there's not a reason for just hope and aspiration. This is just mapping the plan to the finish line, and how quick can we get there? Now, Andy, uh, yeah, I don't want you to. I don't want you to, you know, tell us anything uh, necessarily about the uh, conference coming up. But uh, there is a report that supposedly is going to get released, and and maybe you can tell us a little bit about what the report says. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to let the, the people who are issuing the report mm. speak for themselves. Okay, okay. No spoilers. Is that we were very interested in taking stock of the things that I'm telling you. In other words, we all noticed that uh, Hawaii suddenly became much more renewable and suddenly had less, much less dependence on oil. But we said it's time after 10 years to measure, get lessons learned, and reignite the passion for the pathway we know we have to be on. Right, so that was the report, and and I can't tell you too much about it because the report was done uh, um, um, uh, beyond arm's length. Uh, it was meant to okay. have the integrity of a trusted, objective, legitimate third party, world class uh, team, and it did. The group from Rhodium is involved in that, uh, so I'm looking forward to the findings, but mainly because they should be able to objectively give policymakers and regulators, and business people, and most important, the people of Hawaii. The objective facts that what we know to be true is that every time you install something green on your roof or something green in your house, you put additional green in your pocket. You lower your cost, you make more money, society is more prosperous, communities are thriving. We know this to be true, that there's no reason to slow down because every time we take away something carbon, or oil, or toxic, we end up with more than green, clean, healthy air to breathe, more than the satisfaction of the environment for our kids. We end up with more green in our pocket. So I'm really, I'm, I'm eager to see what and how much the report says, because they've really gotten into the analytics of that question. We're looking well, forward to it. Andy, well, we're definitely looking forward to your coming to Hawaii and of and basically energizing everybody here, because I know you've just energized all our listeners. But uh, Andy, we want to thank you for joining us. 
Well, I, it's been my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. I'll tell you, I get to come so often, I'm always excited. My colleague, Don Lippert, who was there, yes. and who was there at the beginning of the Wine Cleaners Initiative, she excites me every day she comes home with a report of all the innovation happening in Hawaii. So I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be, be coming, and thank you guys for having me. Thank okay, you. thanks, Andy. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Spencer Toyama and David Henry. We'll talk about cryptocurrency. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University, Inter-Island Solar Supply, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. I listen to Hawaii Public Radio all the time, usually while I'm in my car, driving from one place to another. I love the news programs on public radio. I love listening in the morning and getting a good synopsis of what's going on for the day and then the commentary that breaks it down. And I feel like it's, it's good, solid news that I can trust. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Spencer Toyama and David Henry. Spencer is a co-founder of digital media firm Crew, And of course, uh, he's a subject matter expert on cryptocurrency and blockchain. David Henry, meanwhile, is the managing director of Blockweather Holdings, a leading digital currency investment firm. And of course, we'll find out what's fueling the growing interest in digital currency and blockchain technologies. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank yeah, you. Happy thank, to be here. Thank you for having us. Now, let's start with a real quick definition. Like the 30-second definition, and Spencer, I know you've practiced this so many times, <laughs> you know, in front of the legislators about, start with cryptocurrency. Sure. And then talk a little bit about blockchain. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're kind of inseparable. I know. Yeah. Right? So, like, um, blockchain is, is just a technology where we have, we all have the same ledger. Same, in the same way that your bank has a ledger, mm-hmm. if I give a dollar to Bert or write a check for a dollar to yeah. Bert, um, I'm not giving him cash. I'm giving him a note that says, like, I promise to give you a dollar. Or it's going to show up in your bank account, right? Your bank uh, will record on their ledger that a that dollar went into your account mm-hmm. from my account. My, my bank also records on their ledger that that is happening. And we both see it, right? Um, so cryptocurrency and blockchain are just one way for both of us to have that ledger without the bank between us mm-hmm. to transfer that over. And for blockchain, it's a ledger that's open to... Everybody, Everybody. Yeah. yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. So, so we would all be able to see that ledger, but um, it would be, but we have a public and private key, so that you only see your transactions and I only see my transactions. Although there is other technology out there that that creates different levels of transparency and opaqueness depending on who you are on the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very powerful technology to track ownership. It is not necessarily uh, confined to just currency, which is, I think, the way that most people are seeing it. It is a, it is a very good technology for tracking ownership of uh, anything. Mm-hmm. And I work in real estate technology, and blockchain is something that many people are exploring as a way to have a public ledger for real estate transactions, managing title ownership uh, mm-hmm. of properties, and even, yes, the financial transactions for real estate. Yeah, correct. It, relating to that, the entire uh, Swedish land registry is on the blockchain already. And uh, they think that the mortgage uh, industry can save about 10 to 12% in costs each year uh, through the blockchain. 
So t- let's move very quickly to Bitcoin. There are many cryptocurrencies based on blockchain technology, but Bitcoin certainly is the most known. And it's always in the headlines, whether it's because it's really gone up in value in terms of the exchange rate or value that people perceive for it for dollars or things like that. And the well, let's say it's volatile. So tell us a little bit mm. about the state of, of Bitcoin specifically. So Bitcoin is the most widely used and uh, best-known cryptocurrency. It came about in 2009. And most people, when they get into crypto, they start with Bitcoin, and they can convert that to other cryptocurrencies. So everybody goes in and out from U.S. dollars or fiat currency to Bitcoin, into other crypto, and then back to Bitcoin. Uh, It has about 40% of the global market cap. Mm. Uh, So there's uh, billions of dollars in the industry in Bitcoin. And the price fluctuates daily and weekly. But, you know, if it goes up 80% and goes down 30%, up 70, down 20, you know, in the long run, it still has done very well. So David, tell us a little bit about how, uh, let's say Bitcoin or any of the other coins, uh, cryptocurrencies, how would they, uh, I guess people mine them? How would number one, you mine them? And, and how does a value of a coin get established? Sure. So to mine a cryptocurrency, uh, it used to be more uh, you can make more money f- uh, doing it previously. Now you need a big warehouse full of big computers, and they can do that in you know, China and uh, parts of Europe. But now it's not very cost-effective for a single person to use their individual computer to mine Bitcoin. You can. It would just you spend more money on electricity than you would earning Bitcoin. Right. So to perhaps, Spencer, you can help me with this, but because the blockchain is public and it is validated through effectively math, um, as the blockchain gets longer and as the validations require more processing power to do, to know what that next segment in the chain would be takes much more processing power. People were buying up video cards by the dozens to make giant computers to get to that next segment. But really, at this point, mining is not uh, easy for Bitcoin specifically, but people are now taking that to other coins. Am, am I anywhere near the right yeah, yeah, generally. Um, <laughs> the the miners pr- produce uh, layers of encryption. So it kind of works like layers of ember where every, um, every transaction forthcoming is more encrypted than the ones before it. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the way that uh, banks encrypt their, their information, um, they're kind of pr- producing one layer of encryption for everyone's bank accounts, right? Uh, crypto crypto does that on an exponential level. Right, right. So every transaction adds another layer of encryption. So while the bank might have, I don't know, maybe four layers of encryption to it, like crypto literally has like hundreds of thousands, maybe millions by now. I don't know. Um, I also wanted to say that like there are people way more informed about crypto than I am. <laughs> I think I always just get vested with explaining the technology because that's a lot of my job is explaining technology to uh, laypersons. So, so- – well, you know, in terms of uh, uh, investing into this, and maybe David, you could per- uh, perhaps uh, speak to this. We are now hearing things like ICOs and initial coin offerings. I mean, before when things like Dogecoin came out, I mean, there was no initial <laughs> coin offering. So, what exactly is an ICO? Sure. Uh, so, an ICO is an initial coin offering, and it's analogous to an initial public offering or an ICO of IPO of a stock, for example, Facebook or Apple. And so you can purchase an ICO, uh, purchase the coin during an ICO or before that at a low price, and then hopefully it'll go up, and then you make quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, we're an investment company, one of the first in the world in crypto. We had one client who put in uh, $6,800 into an ICO, 
and it turned into $210,000 three months later. So, so there are opportunities out there to make quite a bit of money. But it's possible for anyone, it seems, to generate an ICO and say, this is going to be the one for dog owners or this is going to be the one for florists. And it's a matter of doing your due, 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 due diligence to determine whether a forthcoming coin will increase in value because they've made a case for its use or its value or possibly not go anywhere. Well, I'd say ICOs are really close to like, Kickstarter crowdfunding, mm. right? Like it's not um, – it is – I think some people are definitely viewing it as IPOs. But I would say that it's technologically closer to crowdfunding where mm-hmm. people are putting pools of money in to accomplish something with a smart contract. Uh, but that doesn't ne- necessarily that mean that your money is safe. So definitely buyer beware. That's not something that I, – I don't think if, if you've never – been involved with crypto, I probably wouldn't recommend people mm. just like throwing money into ICOs. Like you should understand what you're doing and and do it responsibly. Yeah, well, I, so I do want to ask you uh, something about uh, whether or not you know before an ICO comes out, has it already been mined? So I'll ask you that question. But we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short break to continue our conversation with both Spencer Toyama and David Henry. We're talking about the growing interest in blockchain technologies. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Spencer Toyama and David Henry about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. And of course, right before the break, real quickly, I wanted to understand when an ICO is available for somebody to perhaps, you know, in, invest in. Bitcoin. Has, has it already been mined, Spencer? I mean, uh, some, some have been mined. I was going to say, though, um, the other option is like, you know, uh, Talk to trusted advisors about about investing in ICOs if you're interested in it. There's definitely opportunity, but there's definitely risk that I think David mm-hmm. can expand on. Sure. Yeah, regarding ICOs, I would compare the industry to the internet in the 1990s. You know, there were thousands of new companies out there, and the best ones succeeded. S- same thing with ICOs. There's uh, more than 2,000 ICOs out there now, and there's maybe five good ones in healthcare, five good ones in finance. And so the good ones will prolong and, and uh, go on, but the you know, the other ones will not. Yeah, and research is very important. Uh, last year, there was someone um, or there was a group trying to start a Hawaii coin, seeing it as perhaps mm-hmm. a pathway to independence. But because of the way the actual math was structured for that blockchain, it collapsed. And people who thought that that would be the next big thing might have lost some money in that. Well, obviously, this is a complex topic, and it gets even more difficult to tackle when it becomes a matter of public policy. And I think I wanted to get into what uh, the Hawaii government is trying to do or trying to accomplish with legislation and laws and bills. Let's start with the fact that right now it's difficult to get into uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin because of interpretations of rules uh, by the state. Is that true, Spencer? Yeah, that's that's true. They're they're um, trying. There are definitely some regulation around uh, interacting with exchanges, which is why exchanges like Coinbase don't really operate here. Uh, but there's always a way to get cryptocurrency. Like, well, so an exchange is uh, basically a platform where you could turn a fiat currency into a Bitcoin holding? Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so that was one one uh, sort of policy decision that basically had uh, Coinbase leave Hawaii, right? And then now there's another uh, legislation that's being considered. It's uh, HB 2250. 
1857. Is that correct? Yeah, 1857. And maybe you yes. can tell us a little bit about the, the, the nature of that particular piece of legislation. All right. The, the way I've interpreted it, mm-hmm. and I'm by no means uh, um, like someone who should interpret laws. <laughs> but I'm, you have been testifying, so I think you do a good job testifying. But the way that I understand the bill is they basically want people to register if they're um, doing any kind of transactions with cryptocurrency. Uh, and that includes like crypto to crypto. Um, and I don't really like the term cryptocurrency. I view them as a cri- crypto assets because mm-hmm. it's more about ownership mm-hmm. than about value. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you call it currency, it, it kind of assigns value to it. And that's not true for every, everything on the blockchain. Not all of it has value. As, as we were seeing with ICO collapses. So this value, this, this registration requirement would mean if I wanted to, as a good friend of ours did, Eric Nakagawa, a few years ago, buy, get some Bitcoin or Dogecoin and buy a pizza at J.J. Dolan's downtown, to be able to even engage in that exchange, I would need to be a registered uh, crypto yeah, participant? You would, you would have to register. David, David knows the bill a lot better than I do, but I think he'd have to register and have $25,000 in reserve. Is that right? Uh, well, they have a license and a registration. So if you do above a certain amount, then you have to register as a company uh, below that. Uh, b- above that is the license and below that is just registration. Th- I mean, it sounds strange to me because a lot of people also see these t- technologies as a way to transact business anonymously and without identification. So with this, with a potential law saying that, well, we're, that's not something we want and we want everything not only registered but licensed, uh, I would say that would probably constrain the opportunities to use these new technologies. Right. Yeah. The goal is to protect consumers from companies who are doing bad things. And the SEC, uh, Securities Exchange Commission, uh, FinCEN, IRS, they're already cracking down on companies that do that. And there's laws related to securities, fraud, anti-money laundering, uh, computer security, advertising contracts. And so there's already laws out there that are being enforced mostly by the SEC to crack down on companies that are harming consumers. Mm-hmm. So in terms of uh, – I, I think to uh, Spencer's point – when you talk about currency, I mean, it, it does have some connotations, but if it's actually an asset, I mean, it, and blockchain could be used for a number of different kinds of applications. Maybe maybe speak a little bit to that and how this legislation might affect those kinds of opportunities. Sure. Uh, so the IRS classifies virtual currency as property, not as money. So the Money Transmitter Act is not ideal to regulate uh, this entity. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, well, you know, before you go, um, so money trans, uh, transmitter, what is a money transmitter? What is typically considered a money transmitter? A money transmitter is, and I'm not an attorney as well, but a, a bank or financial institution that uh, can accept fiat currency or U.S. dollars and issue checks to their clients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how does uh, this requirement, I guess, limit the opportunity for innovators or tech companies wanting to explore opportunity in, in the blockchain? So there's a lot of requirements in the bill that uh, the industry is not yet ready to support uh, in terms of compliance and auditing and uh, security reporting. So you know, just the platforms and for auditing these companies are just now being developed. It's be very technical, uh, technically hard for these companies to comply with these reg- registrations. Well, Spencer, you, yeah, you've testified um, about these bills. I mean, how do you articulate how uh, – because somebody let's, – let's play the devil's advocate. Someone says that uh, Bitcoin is too volatile. Someone could uh, mortgage their house to buy a bunch of Bitcoin and then be left with $30. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but I would, I would say from a tech standpoint and dealing with the technology, my, my company develops technology on the blockchain. Uh, 
but one you know some of the the things that it could be used for is if you're a young person going to a bar and you want to produce an identity token that proves you're 21 mm-hmm. but but let's say the bartender is kind of creepy on you and you don't want to give up your personal information your name your phone number your address it's all in your ID card right you don't want to give that up so you've just produced a token but in order to get that token you might have to buy it like for a fraction of a cent but because you don't have an exchange in order to buy it then then we're going to cut off people from that access to technology. You Very know, this is a really uh, yeah interesting conversation. We probably could go for another hour at least, but uh, we will probably re-invite you back <laughs> and talk more about this, especially af- after we see what happens with the bill. Well, Spencer Toyama is with uh, Sudokru, and David Henry is the managing director of of Block Weather Holdings. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank, thank you. So appreciate much. it. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. We'll join us next week when Bert will talk to Sultan Ventures about the return of their founder and investor interview podcast, Startup Catalyst. And of course, if you miss any part of this this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong. And you can catch us every Wednesday on HPR One. And of course, you stay safe and join us next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. After you.